Hello everyone, my name is Tracy Smith and I want to thank you for tuning in to the podcast. For the next several podcasts, I want to spend time diving into each of the seven letters that were written to the churches. And the, the letters themselves are found in the first few chapters of Revelation and were written by John while he was on the Isle of Patmos. As you'll find out through the series, in each letter, Jesus told the people of the church that he knew exactly what they were going through. And in most cases, he gave them things they needed to work on or improve. In fact, he did that in every letter except the one we'll cover today. Today we'll discuss the suffering church, what was called the suffering church. That was the one in Smyrna. But let's talk about some things that I asked you to do in the last podcast. I ask you to spend some time looking at the blessings God had given you. And I ask you to think about the ways that maybe you weren't loving him as you did when you first got saved. I'd want to ask you if you made any commitments around renewing your love for Jesus, or at least have you thought about doing that. I know I did when I got through, and there's a lot of things that I need to work on. There's a lot of ways that I could show my love to God better than I have been doing. So let's get started. If you got your Bible with you, turn with me to Revelations chapter 2 verse 8. <clears throat> let's see if we can get some meaningful insight from Jesus' letter to the church of Smyrna. He says this, write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know you're about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for ten days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Now, I don't know if you got it to do any research on Smyrna, but there is a lot more in these four short, short verses than meets the eye. So let's get some of the interesting facts out of the way first. I always think it's more interesting and and, and better to have the backstory, maybe, or even, like I always say, having some context, right? It makes it more interesting. First, you should know that all of the churches mentioned in the letters were relatively close to each other. The city of Smyrna, for example, was only 35 miles from Ephesus, which was the first podcast I did about the churches. Ephesus was 49 miles from the next church that I'll do, which is Pergamum. So they were all relatively close. The word Smyrna means myrrh, which if you remember the story of the birth of Jesus, was one of the gifts brought to him by the Magi, myrrh was. It also happened to be one of the main ingredients used to embalm people in Egypt and Judea. So here's a few more interesting facts about the city. Smyrna was a prosperous port town, and of the seven cities addressed in the letters, Smyrna is the only one that continues to exist today. It's called Izmir. 
Although it had been devastated many times by different civil wars, the city's prime location allowed it to be rebuilt repeatedly. Because of this distinction, it was given the title, The City That Died Yet Lives. Now, it should not surprise us then that in verse 8, the phrase used to describe the one who is speaking through John, which by the way is Jesus, he is described as the one who was dead and came to life. Also in verse 10, Jesus promised the church that if they would remain faithful to the point of death, he would give them the crown of life. Now, I believe he said this because Smyrna was called the crown of Asia Minor because of the city's beauty. Every year, Smyrna's rulers were presented a crown of leaves for their faithfulness in governing the city. Jesus was speaking to something that each person listening to him would have understood. And he was telling them that he would give them the real crown. He would give them his crown. Now, it's always been cool to me to find out pieces of information like that. And I think if we add context, it not only makes it more interesting, it adds meaning to it. It helps us understand why Jesus would introduce himself the way he did. You and I probably blow past it when we're reading Revelations. But remember, these were actual letters written to actual churches that had actual people in them. That's one of the reasons I wanted to do these podcasts about the letters, to point out and maybe help you understand the unique details that Jesus used in each of the letters and to show you why the details would matter so much to the people of the church. So let's move on and look at what Jesus said to them in verse 9. He said this, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they aren't, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Now, those are pretty harsh words, especially coming from the Son of God, wouldn't you think? Here's what I found out. It became a practice that once a year, the citizens of Smyrna was required to burn a pinch of incense on the altar to Caesar. Now, having done so, the citizen was given a certificate verifying their participation. Although participation of this kind of ceremony of worship had religious overtones, it was more of a political statement than anything else. And those who refused to participate would be held not only in religious contempt, but also be under political suspicion. Do you remember the story about the people who refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's idol? Do you remember what happened to them? See, much the same way the believers of Smyrna face persistent threat of persecution if they refuse to do what they were told to do. Also, many of the Jews, so Jesus was talking about many of the Jews living in this city because they had adopted the ideals of Rome. And because they were, if they did it like the Romans told them to, they were granted special privileges. If they didn't, it wasn't good. See, for example, if Jews could worship their God freely, as long as they were willing to participate in the various civic aspects of the city's life. So Jesus is saying that while these people call themselves Jews, they were not truly Jews. Paul says this about it in chapter 2 in Romans. 
It says, For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. That man's praise is not from men, but from God. See, Jesus was telling them that he knew what they were going through and why they were going through it. He tells them in verse 10, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. As I read those words over and over and over again, getting ready for this lesson or this podcast, it got me thinking about just how blessed Shelly and I are. And just how much God has sheltered us and protected us from the things that people have gone through. See, most of us today feel like we've been through some trials in our life, right? Think about it. Some of you truly have been through some real trials and tribulations. But compared to the people of Smyrna, our trials, my trials, are merely bumps in the road. See, Jesus is telling some of them, you will be thrown into prison. You will be tested for 10 days. You will face certain death. Now, I've been through a lot in my life, most of it my own fault. But I have never faced prison or death because of my loyalty to Jesus, nor do I think I will ever have to. No matter how big or small your trials are, you have to know this, though. Every one of them are meant to strengthen you, right? Every one of them are, is meant to make you a stronger Christian. Look at all the trials the Bible says Job went through. He was given a lot more tests than most of us ever want to, right? If you've read the story, you know that one of the things he spoke about the most was thinking that God had left him or abandoned him. Have you ever gone through something that you felt like God was distant? Where you felt like you were alone? Like, like God wasn't there? No matter how much you screamed or how much you prayed, God wasn't there. It, did, it felt like you were alone. If so, you were in good company. Because it wasn't just Job who cried out to God. In one of the, probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, just before he released his spirit on the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So it's human nature to start feeling abandoned. It's natural for us to feel alone. Even though Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Matthew, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, it is natural for us to feel like that. So if I can make a suggestion to you, take an index card, and on one side of it, write Revelations 2.10, which is the verses that we just covered. Write that on one side. On the other side, I want you to write Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3. Just those two verses. Keep it close by. Keep it in your pocket. Keep it nailed to the board above your desk. Tape it to it. When you're going through something and you feel like you're all alone, pull it out and read it again. See, Jesus tells them not to be afraid of what they're about to suffer. And he's telling them to know going into it that the devil's going to test you. Right? He wants you to know that you're going to suffer, but that if you'll remain faithful, 
even when facing death, he will give you the crown of life. Listen closely to the wording of God's promises in Isaiah 43. He tells us this, When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now those are some amazing promises. But did you notice that God used the word when and not if? God didn't say if you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. Or if you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. God said when. We will go through it. And he will be there with us to take us through. In the letter to Smyrna, Jesus is telling them this. And he's telling you and I the same thing. He's saying, hold on. Don't panic. Don't break. I'm coming back for you. I am bringing your crown with me. See, unlike the other six letters, Jesus wasn't rebuking these folks. In fact, he was encouraging them and he was telling them not to be afraid. He was telling them to persevere because it was worth it in the end. He told them in verse 9 that even though they were poor by the world's standards, they were spiritually rich. He's giving them hope. He's trying to lift them up. But somewhere in there, there's also a warning. He's warning them because as human beings, our tendency is to cut the corner. Our tendency is to take shortcuts if we feel like we're getting into trouble or losing ground, right? Remember what I said about what some of the people were doing with the incense? See, in private, they were worshiping God because it was safe. But in public, in front of the people, they were burning the incense to Caesar to keep from being persecuted. See, we have to be careful when we're struggling, don't we? Not only will we often lie if it means avoiding conflict, but if it's keeping us out of trouble in our minds, we'll justify the lie. Like we'll say, it's okay. God would understand. God wouldn't want me going through this, right? Jesus offers us a way out though. Jesus is telling us all this stuff we're going through right now is temporary. The enemy will tell you to give in to the pressure of the moment. He will have you rationalizing the lie and somehow convince you it's okay and it's for the best. The problem is, is that the momentary comfort that we find never lasts though. And what it could cost us in the long run is devastating. The fact we may be sacrificing our spiritual wealth and an eternal life with Jesus just to get us through this moment is a sobering thought to me. Now, I pray we never, no one listening to me ever has to make those kind of decisions that was being made in Smyrna. Those kind of decisions are actually having to be made around the world today in a lot of foreign countries, right? The persecution and the suffering that they were going through is far worse than what we will ever encounter. Now we hear about it happening today overseas and it was happening in Smyrna. See, because of their faith, they were being tortured and martyred. Because of their faith, they were unable to feed their families because they didn't have that certificate. Because of their faith, they were being ostracized and shunned by their very own communities, by their own family and friends. 
Because of their faith, they were too poor to have clean water or a roof over their children's head. Yet Jesus said, do not be afraid about what you were about to suffer. So let's put ourselves in their shoes for a moment. See, I don't believe we can imagine these things. Most of us will never go through it, and it's hard to imagine. But picture yourself now on your knees. You're in front of someone who is about to kill you or your family because of your faith. Picture yourself as someone offering you a job or enough money that you'll be able to quit worrying about your family starving. Imagine someone is offering you clean water or medication to cure your child's illness. Imagine, though, that the only way you can get those things is by denying Christ and turning your back on the Christian faith. See, that's what the folks in Smyrna were going through. How many of us would have stood up and said, I'm no Christian if it meant saving my family, right? How many of us would turn our backs on Jesus? Even worse, how many of us would justify it and think that God wouldn't want us going through it? See, it's thinking about moments like that that help me understand just how blessed I am and make my troubles seem so small and insignificant. What Jesus is asking the believers in Smyrna to do is no small thing. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. He was telling them to be faithful, even to the point of death. See, Satan was allowed to put Job through some terrible things. Could we or would we respond like Job did? Listen to his response in chapter 1, verse 21. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. See, Job wasn't dealing with the terrible stuff like we deal with today. Like traffic jams, or spilling our coffee, or arguing with our husband or wife right? Job lost everything. Job lost everything, including his children. The people in Smyrna faced the same temptation that Job did, and Jesus was telling them to respond the exact same way. He told them to rely on the Lord and not give in to the temptation of their flesh. He was telling them not to cut corners or turn to something more comfortable. He was telling them that anything they would go through here on earth is only temporary. So I'll end with this. How does thinking about all they went through help us get through this? Help us be better Christians? Because we have to understand, I believe, that God uses what we go through for good. God uses our trials and our tribulations for good to make us stronger, to make us closer to Him. And I truly want all of us to fully understand what Jesus' suffering and his resurrection means to you and I. I say this based on my own actions and no one else's. See, it hadn't been that long ago. I sat down in church one day by myself. And I asked God why his fruits weren't more abundant in showing, abundantly showing up in my life. I asked him where the joy and the peace and the love was because even though I felt like I was doing every, all the things right, I felt like I was doing everything I was supposed to do. The peace of God was absent from my life. Inside my head, in a voice as loud as I'm speaking to you right now, God told me to quit 
complaining. Nothing more, nothing less than that. He told me that if I truly wanted to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit, I had to quit complaining. If I truly understood what Jesus and many of the saints in the Bible went through to give me my right to worship, to give me the right to praise Him publicly, to give me the right to speak directly to God and go boldly to the throne, the right to live a terrible life, a horrible life, yet still be forgiven. If I truly understood the cost of all of that and the unbelievable price that was paid for me, how could I ever complain about anything I will ever go through? If I know that I am faithful, even to the point of death, that I will be given the crown of life, how could I not walk in love and joy and peace and forbearance and goodness and kindness? How could I not? Folks, the last sentence in verse 11 says it all. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. 1 Corinthians says this, So you see, just as death came into this world through a man, meaning Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, meaning Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given a new life. See, I know in my heart that I won't be harmed by the second death. And that someday, someday I'll walk those streets of gold with Shelly holding one of my hands. And my mother holding the other. And I, for one, cannot wait. But folks, we got some work to do before we go. We have to get to as many people as we can. We have to tell as many people as we can about the good news. We have to tell them not to be afraid of what you're about to suffer. We have to let them know that the devil's going to test them and that they and the people they love may suffer. But they have to know the promise of eternal life. They have to know that if they remain faithful, even when facing death, God will give them the crown of life. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.